So I'll begin by just sharing a little bit about my afternoon. I spent the afternoon reflecting on what I might speak about this afternoon and, you know, putting some notes together. And as I was working away, I just started to notice more and more joy arising in the mind. And, you know, it just comes from, I think, a great love of this practice, the work that we're doing here, just having seen what an effect it's had in my own life. It's also a time where I really get to reflect on the Dharma, seeing life through the eyes of the Dharma, you know, having that orientation towards truth. And you know, just out of that, the feeling that came was a real lightening of the heart. And that's not to say that I have anything profound to share, <laughs> just as you may not have had any profound experiences today. Um, you know, it wasn't as if there was anything earth-shaking, but it was just that total delight in the looking itself. I wanted to share with you uh, a story from my own life. And when it happened to me, when I heard these words uh, from one of my teachers, it had quite a strong effect. And this was from a time I spent with a Zen master named Hogan Daido Yamahata. And he is actually the Zen master that gave me my name. I had you know, really quite a brief period in my life where I practiced with this Zen master. And it, it happened through living in Australia, having been away at a retreat here at IMS. This was a number of years ago. And practicing with some very strict Theravada monks, Seda Upandita being one of these monks. Um, it was a two-month retreat. And then afterwards, I went back to Australia where I lived. And while I was gone, my friend had signed me up for a retreat. (laughs) She didn't want to go alone. (laughs) So I went. And then I found myself sitting in this little um, house in the country with, I think we were about 25 people, and this most amazing Zen master. And, you know, it was truly a wonderful experience. And then after that, I started to organize sashins or retreats um, for him. And he's a very mischievous, impish man, very light and playful. And certainly one of his qualities is that there never is a feeling that there's anything there to hang on to. Um, My husband, once after I came back from that retreat, and then this Hoganson was coming to the town where I lived, and I told my husband, you've just got to come and meet this guy. And so he comes, and he sits through this evening with him, and then afterwards I'm really curious, what did he think of him? And he goes, hmm, no handlebars on that guy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's something, the Zen masters are just expert at really cutting through the crap. And, and so I actually went through quite a wonderful period where I would practice intensively with my Burmese teachers, and then I would think I had some profound understanding, and I'd go see him and it would be like, Poof, okay. <laughs> you know, I was continually humbled in his presence, but in a very light and playful way. 
So one of the things that he was really good at was giving teachings on the spot in life. You know, organizing a retreat for him, I would often spend some days before or after with him, getting things together, you know, picking him up, meeting him um, at the airport, taking him back at the end. And for me, this was really precious time of getting very informal teachings, but teachings that were pretty good. (laughs) And so this one time, I took him to the airport and you know, he, he's just not an ordinary character. <laughs> I mean, that's all I can say. <laughs> and so we arrive at the airport, and he has two really big bags. And, you know, when I first met him, and I picked him up, and he had these bags, I went, hmm, Zen monk? <laughs> Simplicity? <laughs> renunciation? What is this? But it turned out that inside his bags were a lot of presents for everybody. And so he'd, he'd arrive in one place and he'd give away all these gifts and then he'd go shopping and he'd fill up his bag and then when he went on to the next place he'd give away all these gifts again. But anyhow, he had these two huge bags and he puts them on a cart and he's so playful, he's so childlike and he's got this cart and he's just racing around the airport with it. And it's okay, you know, I'm, I'm kind of used to what he does by this point, quite enjoying what he's doing. And then we get in the line to check in and we get to the front of the line and it's his turn to check in. So the man behind the counter started to talk to Hoganson and very quickly went, whoa, no ordinary dude here. And so he, it was too much for him. So he just started to talk to me, you know, and he's asking me all these questions and we're getting them all checked in. But then, of course, he comes to the point where he has to talk to Hoganson directly. You know, he says, well, did you pack your bags yourself? And he says, yes. And then, you know, whatever questions I ask. And then he says, and do you have any dangerous weapons? And so Hoganson looks at him in a totally sincere way and goes, no. And then he turned to me and he said, he asked me if I had any dangerous weapons. And then he points to his head and he says, and this is the most dangerous weapon of all. (laughs) It really says something about this mind. You know, that this mind has so much power. This mind can create total havoc for us. You know, during the day, did you ever get tortured by your own mind? <laughs> I don't know, I sometimes do. <laughs> I'll confess. <laughs> you know, we get unruly states, we get fantasies we can't let go of. We We get full of anger, aversion, judgmental of those around us, and we really suffer in it. it, um, In the world we find that this mind can create all kinds of confusion, we can cause pain to others, we can cause pain to ourselves, and this mind also has the capacity to know truth, to be free to know joy, to know happiness. It's such an amazing thing. And then here we are sitting right now with this opportunity to explore what it is to have a mind, what it is 
to have a body. We have this capacity to see both how we get tripped up and how we suffer and how we can be free. And it's said that the master key for this mind is that of mindfulness or awareness. And just so happens, this is the practice that we're working with. Now, to really learn to be present to our experience as it is, without any overlays, any ideas about, but to really know directly and immediately. The master key. It's quite amazing that it's something that's so, in one way, simple, but can have such a powerful influence. And so tonight, I want to touch upon, remind us a little bit about mindfulness, and then about some other qualities in the mind that really support the strengthening of mindfulness or awareness. To me, the biggest feature of mindfulness, or something that I tend to say over and over, and probably if you're not sick of it already, you will be sick of it by the end of the retreat, is I just want to point towards the natural capacity of the mind to know when it is undistracted. It is what the mind does. And this is what we are looking to in our meditation. This natural capacity of the mind to know and recognizing this. And using all of the experiences that we have to support this. You know, in any moment, you know, where there's a, a body sensation, there's, there's tightness. What knows it? How do we know it? Do we do anything to know it? No. When the mind is undistracted and it's in the realm of experience, it is simply known. So, an important part for me in my own practice, it feels like a sense of learning what is my place here? What can I do? And it isn't that we need to manufacture this knowing. And sometimes that's what we do when we're trying to do when we really get caught in striving, in wanting, in trying to get something. We try to force the mind to be mindful. And what happens there? We get tense. We get tight. When the mind is tense, tight, it gets hard to see. No? So it isn't so supportive. It isn't so helpful. But, you know, if we can just really learn to notice when we've been lost 
And as I mentioned the other day, in the very moment that we notice that we've been lost, mindfulness is already back. Awareness is already here. And it's not like you have to add something on top of that. We have been talking about using the breath, the body, simply because that helps to stabilize the mind. But that really, in that very moment of waking up, that quality of mindfulness is there. So watch where you try to add something to that. I mean, the more that in that moment we can simply relax and let the knowing be there, the more easeful our practice becomes, the more open the mind becomes, the more at ease we feel ourselves to be. And so it's, you know, in some ways it's a very simple part. There's actually a quality that comes with mindfulness that we do work with a little bit. And this is the active ingredient of mindfulness, which is the memory to remember. The memory to remember to come back, to look. And, you know, it's very simple, just that memory, and then we're there. So it's, it's remembering, in a sense, why we're here, what we're doing, but in a very simple way than just being present. So to watch that, we don't really start to over-effort here, to really try to make the mind stick with the breath. That's not going to be so helpful. But you know, it's, it's really just even such a simple movement if we've been lost... Just the the directing of the mind, it's like there's this whole field of awareness, and it really doesn't matter what we're aware of, but just by way of strengthening that stability, it's really just letting the mind rest upon the aspect of experience of the body, but then not trying to do something with it. So to just notice if there is, and it's really common, and you know, I've I've seen this a lot in my own mind, that, that trying too hard or not being clear about what our part in the practice is. And so just letting it be quite simple and quite natural. So along with this, we find that what really helps the mindfulness to take hold is when there is a balance in the mind of tranquility and alertness. And with tranquility, we have uh, the qualities of relaxation, of receptivity, of acceptance, of trust. And with alertness, there's an interest in the mind. There can be the quality of investigation. And this brings a wise discernment to our experience. And the, you know, when these qualities are in balance, it's, it's like there's just this whole natural flow of the knowing mind that we can be aware of. 
And so I just want to talk a little bit about each of these because what we often find, and you know, it could be that today as we sit here, we find that we actually are starting to connect with our experience. And it has quite a calming effect. You know, maybe some of us touched this, maybe not. It's okay if you didn't, but it might have been in the realm of your experience. And so as that starts to happen, if there isn't a lot of energy or interest in the mind, what can happen is it's almost like we fall into the experience. It could be being with the breath and the mind sinks into the experience and we just don't know what's going on. Or sometimes we experience it by way of sitting through meditation. You sit down at the beginning of the meditation and it's almost like you go into a cocoon-like state and then the bell rings. And you go, oh my God, how'd that happen? (laughs) What happened here? And we just don't have a clue. I mean, I used to spend hours like that. (laughs) It was pretty nice. It has a pleasantness to it. But there isn't any sense of really connecting and knowing of our experience. So that's something that can start to happen as we practice. And sometimes as the mind gets more and more relaxed, we might find that actually the, the, the spaciousness that we feel at some point turns out to a spaced outness. <laughs> and again, there's no sense of connecting with our experience. And then on the other side is that of alertness. And this is the, it's a real energizing quality in the mind where there's an interest in what's happening. And so, you know, as it could be that we're just breathing and then we suddenly take an interest. I I remember once just being so interested in the moment where the um, in-breath stopped and the out-breath began. I mean, it was like, how did the body know to do that? And just being with that as if I'd never seen it before. It it seemed completely phenomenal. But sometimes when that interest gets out of balance or over-energized, it's almost like we start fiddling. We start getting um, overly invested in what's being seen. And it leads to a restlessness in the mind. It leads to agitation in body and mind. And, you know, we can find ourselves, you know, just feeling like we're zapped in some way, and the mind isn't able to land on anything. And yet, together, these qualities are amazing. You know, where there is a mind that is calm, that is tranquil, that is present, that then is looking very directly and immediately what's happening in our experience. And this is where we find real insight happens, real understanding comes. And, and, you know, it's not that we create that insight, that seeing of the nature of reality, but it's what happens when there is a balance of tranquility and alertness. This just naturally comes forth. And this is where the Dharma reveals itself. So, looking first at tranquility, 
So this is where, in the very way that we practice, we do so with a sense of relaxation, of not having to force, not having to create, not, you know, that, that forceful energy that creates tension. You know, that isn't present in relaxation. You know, when we relax, it just, I mean, just, you know, tense your body up and let go. And just feel the difference in the two. And so then imagining, and maybe we know it in our own experience, when the mind has been really tight, involved in something. Could even be that we've been really involved in a thought, and then we see the thought, and there's no attachment. There's just a letting go that happens. And it's just that sense of, ah, that ease, that quality of relaxing, of letting be. And, you know, sometimes it sounds a bit funny to relax the mind. We hear about it in relationship to the body, you know, that uh, many times, you know, we're told, relax the muscles, we, we do that. And we have a sense of, you know, oh, there's tension and there's just the softening. And then you hear about relaxing the mind, and it's like, it's like, um, you know, quite not too long ago, I was, I was with my physical therapist, and she asked me to move a certain muscle. <laughs> I couldn't find what she was talking about. You know, and so sometimes it feels that way when someone says, relax your mind. <laughs> Where's that muscle? <laughs> Can't quite find it. And yet, um, it's something that if we just bring this into the realm of interest, we start to discover what is the relaxed mind. What is the mind that's not holding tightly to something? And one of the ways that I found very interesting to explore it was, you know, often when I think of relaxation, I think of, oh, you know, being in a nice, cozy, comfortable chair and being able to just soften into it. Or, you know, if we do yoga, the corpse pose, you know, laying on your back and you just can kind of melt into um, the ground. But I don't often think of it as being able to relax in the midst of tension, to be able to relax within the midst of anxiety. And yet this is completely possible, that in the midst of chaos in our lives, that we learn to simply relax and be with. And so, you know, what I found useful was just whatever would arise in my experience, just, you know, looking at it and seeing, can I relax in the knowing of this experience? Can I relax in just being with the breath? Can I relax with painful sensations in the body. With this quality of relaxation, it's supported by a sense of letting be, allowing. And acceptance. Know that this is the way things are right now. 
can I let this be as it is in this moment without needing to fix, alter, or change? Can I meet this moment as it is? Now, this acceptance doesn't mean that in our lives we're going to lay down and let people walk all over us. This isn't what we're talking about. It's being able to see things in the immediacy of this moment that then actually allows a wise response, a responsiveness to life that is based in wisdom and compassion rather than a knee-jerk reactivity. Or it allows us to connect with life deeper than our superficial ideas, beliefs, and opinions. And this is where the quality of mindfulness is so important. Because mindfulness in itself is unencumbered by these views, by these ideas. It is this really direct knowing. And so, you know, this, you can see this all works together. It's all there together. And so in, in these moments where, you know, we might have a knee-jerk response to move away from suffering, it's a you know, painful sensation in the knee, that's been our habit in life. When th- something is unpleasant, get away from it. You know, and that's based in the desire to be free from suffering, which is really wholesome, but what it often lacks is wisdom. And so we, we might move away in a way that we are actually just perpetuating suffering because we haven't allowed the mind to be there and to be able to allow it to be with in a way that brings forth that natural wisdom and compassion in the heart. And all of this, too, is supported by trust. You know, if we don't trust, we can't let ourselves move into the unknown. It's like we want to stay in control. We want to stay in the driver's seat. We, you know, it can be like we want to do a scientific experiment and prove the results that we want. But that isn't how the Dharma reveals itself. (laughs) And if it did, we would probably all be free right now. Because in our lives, we have tried so hard. And I want to say that that trying comes from a really noble place. We just are confused in how we're trying. We keep so often seeking outside of ourselves, trying to create, you know, trying to make conditions where we can find happiness, not realizing that if we really let go, let be, and be within, it's already here. And so, you know, there's just, oh, we need to come back to really trusting in our desire to be happy, but kind of honing our ability to listen and to see and to recognize what true happiness is. And it takes some time. You know, just because we have 
so many ideas what will bring happiness, so many beliefs, so such strong habits. And you know, in our lives, there's been times when we've worked really hard and we might have had times where conditions were such that for a period of time, we did feel happy. But then, you know, because it was something that was conditioned, when things changed, the happiness is gone. And I know for myself, there was times where I felt really betrayed by life. And this was even in my Dharma practice. You know, I remember being in Burma and I was doing a long retreat there. And I went through, you know, a period of time where practice was just flowing. And I had this feeling as if every time, I, not maybe not every time, but so often as I sat or walked, a new door was opening in the mind. I was seeing something in a new way. And you know, there was a lot of joy and delight in this. And then it was like, boom, I hit a wall. And it happened in one sitting. I'd been having these great sittings, you know, I tell my teacher about it, you know, I'm really happy. And then he kept saying, why don't you sit a little bit longer? And I'd say, no, I'm fine, it's okay. You know, and I was really happy after a while, get up, you know. And then one day I thought, okay, I'm going to sit longer. (laughs) So all I encountered was some, you know, some body pain. And, but, you know, I got bent out of shape. Uh, And I, I just crashed. You know, it was like I'd been flying high and came crashing down. And I felt betrayed by the Dharma. You know, as if it had left me. And, you know, what I, one of the things I really gleaned from it was that I had been mistaking experience for realization. You know, that there was a level of experience that was wonderful. It was, and there was things being seen in a new way. But I really wasn't living from the truth, the the deep understanding of impermanence, of the insubstantial nature of reality. And so, you know, when we have these moments or times where we do see something more clearly, but then, you know, something changes. But this is all, you know, this is part of the terrain that we work through, that we go through. And... Huh. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> I think I lost the plot. <laughs> um, acceptance? Was that where I was? Or I had gone to? Trust. Trust, trust. trust. yes, trust. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so trust. Yeah, trusting that the answer will come. <laughs> we don't know how it's going to come. <laughs> we aren't in control. <laughs> And it's okay. (laughs) Actually, I take so much heart in being in this together. Yeah. Actually, during this time um, of this retreat, too, I had around this sense of trust. You know, it's something that nobody can teach us directly. Nobody can say, okay, if you do this and this equals trust, and then you'll have it. You know, it doesn't work like that. It takes a, a real sense of inner knowing and resonance and, and willingness and courageousness of heart to let be. And it's something that people can inspire in us. 
And that certainly has happened through my teachers, through just seeing the degree of trust that they have in the Dharma. And so, you know, during the course of this retreat, I would go in and I would report to my teacher, and he would always seem to be, you know, to have so much faith and trust, and, you know, I'd feel like he he trusted me is what I thought at first. And then, you know, I I was kind of wondering, wow, he seems to really trust me. And then I realized, no, he actually trusts the Dharma. And it was a real shift to, you know, it's not me personally. And, then, and that takes the burden out of it. It really takes the I, me, mine out of it. But that, you know, practicing, doing the best that we can, but to keep aligning our, to keep using mindfulness as this master key. The Dharma reveals itself. And the, so we start to trust in awareness, we start to trust in the practice, we start to trust that we have these capacities. And we really start to see them in our own experience. And this brings a lot of confidence. This brings, you know, just, whoa, a sense of, yes, I too can be free. And, you know, the Buddha, he gave us these practices. And he also said, if it, um, my English is getting tied up, is it, if it were not, if it was not, (laughs) were not, if it were not possible, I would not ask you to do it. And so, I think I spoke about this on the first night, you know, really coming back to we do have these inner qualities. We do have this potential. And if we aren't so run by fear, if we aren't so sure that we have to do something to get that, But if we really stop and look within, this is our nature. It is possible for each and every one of us. And this quality of interest is a quality that really it does help the mind to find that stability. You know, it's, it's similar... Oh, I went from trust to interest, didn't I? I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um. <clears throat> so to finish up on these qualities of tranquility, the, the relaxation the acceptance, the letting be, and this sense of trust. So this is one side of it. The other side being that of interest. What is happening? So it's not like when we are mindful, we become a zombie. With this interest, we actually find that this is where the wise discernment comes. This is where the quality of investigation comes in. 
And this interest is a non-interfering interest. But it's like when you're listening to something that somebody's saying that holds your attention. It's like, ah. And you know, you're listening and it opens up the mind. You're hearing something. And it has within it that quality of receptivity, but there's a real vitality. There is um, a spark that's there. And this spark actually lights up the whole field of awareness. And this is what makes wisdom possible. And this quality of interest, or sometimes the quality of investigation, has to come really unencumbered. Because we can't do it from a place of, I know. And really the greatest, one of the greatest hindrances to awakening is the idea that we know. Actually, I once heard teachings from uh, the Dalai Lama, and he was talking about how, you know, this danger in thinking that we know. You know, a premature wisdom that's just coming from the intellectual mind. And what it does, it cuts us off from really directly, experientially knowing. We get locked into the conceptual mind. And this quality of investigation or probing needs to be free of the ideas and beliefs that we carry so that we aren't trying to prove our own, our own experiment. But that we're really coming to look in an unencumbered way that has that quality of freshness of mind, that mindfulness has. You know, as if we're seeing something in a new way. And yet sometimes, you know, we can, we can tweak that quality of investigation by simply asking a question. You know, so it could be, you know, we're feeling, we call it pain in the, the body. And rather than staying on the conceptual idea of pain, we go, what does this feel like? And we just ask the question, and then we let the mind sense into the experience. We let, we let the mind really meet that experience with interest to come to know in a new way. So watching for when we might have the idea that we know. And that's in something as simple as being with the breath. Oh yeah, I know the breath. I've had 450 million of these breaths. <laughs> you know, I've been breathing since the time I was alive. And you know, as soon as we think that, boom, are we seeing our experience? Are we knowing it directly in this moment? I actually had a... Uh, uh, a retreat once, it was, well, it was a, a very short half-day retreat where there were some young students who came to practice. And well, I guess they weren't totally young, but, you know, college students. Uh, so I'm getting older. <laughs> uh, 
anyhow, they came and we went through sitting, walking, and you know, they were quite sharing of their experience, only there was this one woman who was quite quiet the whole time. She didn't say anything. So I really had no idea what was going on in her mind. And then as she was leaving, she just said very simply, you know, I don't think I've ever really walked before. And that's what mindfulness is like. And that, you know, just this quality of interest can let our experience be that fresh. As if we've never done this before. And often it is that when people come in and have moments like this, they almost feel embarrassed. Like, you know, it's so simple in a way, and yet we don't do it in our lives. So if you find that boredom is there, where there's a disconnect, there isn't this alive energy in the mind, it can be really helpful to just ask a question really appropriate to this moment. You know, if it's boredom, you could be, well, what does boredom feel like? You don't have to go far. You could feel boredom in the body. What boredom feels like? You know, uh, body feels heavy, dull, or there's a rigidity, and whatever it feels like. But, you know, then we're really connecting with our experience. it, It really brings an energy to the mind, which when the lights are on, hello, it's pretty amazing. Hmm. And we make our practice this investigation into truth, into directly knowing of our experience, directly knowing how things are. And we can do this with Whatever happens as we practice, because the Dharma is not outside of us. It's not something foreign to us. We are nature. We just don't often understand what this means. But remembering that mindfulness is the key. The key for us to unlock happiness within ourselves. A happiness that is not conditioned. happiness that is our home. 
using your time here to support this process with this balance between tranquility, relaxation, softening, ease, spaciousness, and alertness, interest, investigation into the very nature of life itself. There's a pregnancy, a poignancy, And it's this sometimes seemingly painful and sometimes very joyful exploration of the truth. So let's just sit for a moment. May all beings everywhere discover the ease of well-being. We have a half hour walking period. 